Welcome to Cool Explorations. I'm your host, Tony Peters. Today we're going to have on David Pollandine of International Justice Mission, and he's going to tell us uh, his testimony, uh, what God's been doing in his life and through the work that International Justice Mission does, and uh, the verse that they've chosen to use for International Justice Mission is uh, Micah 6.8, and that is, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Very important verse, and you can find them at www.ijm.ca. Hello and welcome to Cool Explorations. I am your host, Tony Peters. Today we have David Pollandine on, and he's going to talk about International Justice Mission, or IJM. As we discussed in the prelude there we will be looking at micah 6 8 as a reference to all this kind of stuff we're going to be talking about here which is fantastic i'm looking forward to this stuff and uh, why don't you start off by telling us a little about who you are as a person david yeah thank you tony it's lovely to to, to be here and to to talk to you about the work of igem and just to share a little bit as well about myself so yeah so i'm um originally you can hear that i'm not from canada i'm from the uk uh, my family and I moved to uh, Winnipeg five years ago now, five and a half years ago. Um, I'm married with two children, got a 16-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son. So two teenagers in the house, um, which is wonderful. I always wanted teenagers. I always wanted that challenge. Um, I've always loved youth work, been a youth worker in my past. So I've, I'm delighted now to have my own kind of my my youth work every day within my family, which is great. Um, and yeah, so I, I um, originally come from the UK. I worked a lot actually in um, the student ministry uh, for a number of years, worked in the Czech Republic actually um, for 10 years doing student ministry and then got involved in fundraising, worked for a few NGOs in, in London for Christian Aid was one and St. John Ambulance was another and just got into the whole world of fundraising. And so, yeah, when I came to Canada, it was just a natural step to to be able to start working for IGM as well in this kind of, in this, in this arena. And it was wonderful. Who'd have thought that I'd have found a job in Winnipeg coming from London. I thought, what am I going to do in Winnipeg? You know, what can I do? Maybe street entertainment, maybe something, you know, I can reinvent myself. But um, thankfully uh, God had a plan and I was able to find work, uh, working in the prairies as a fundraiser. So, um, now I'm now I'm the um, actually working as the national director for development growth within IGM. So it's become more of a national remit, which is great as well. So it's lovely to be here, and um, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to talking about that. Uh, before we get into that, why don't you tell us your testimony uh, and how God's kind of helped you grow along the way to get you to where you are now? <coughs> yeah. Um, well, I grew up in in a small town in England. Not really a town; it was, it was really a village. But it was we called it. We did have a charter, so we were a town. We we're about three thousand people, and it was very similar to many small villages and towns across England. It was very secular. Nobody goes to church. Uh, we really are a secular country, so that was typical. Um, although we did have a big Anglican church that used to sometimes go to as a cub and a scout um, on Remembrance Sunday and uh, main holidays and things. But yeah, had no real exposure growing up to to the sort of Christian faith. Um, Mum and dad divorced when I was about five. So 
that was quite traumatic, I think, for, for not just for us, for our parents as well. Uh, and so we never lived. We lived with our mum and my, and my nan. But my dad came to faith, actually, um, through that trauma of the divorce and stuff. And so he prayed for many years for us. So although we weren't actually living together, we didn't see too much of him in the early years, especially. But he just faithfully kept praying. So eventually um, we were at university and we went to one of went to his church in, in, a, in a place called Luton. And the pastor happened to be a football player, soccer player. And me and my brother loved football. So, um, yeah, over the years, we've been there a few times and I heard this lovely Welsh evangelist share about Jesus and about a relationship that you could have with him. And so I went forward and that was, I was about 22. So that was in about 1990, no, 1989, I guess, 1988, 89. And so, yeah, made a, made a decision and it took, yeah, it was a gradual, it kind of gradually uh, started to meet with Christians, started to go to church. Um, have not gone to church growing up. It took me a while to get into that rhythm. But um, yeah, so went to university and then discovered about how you can share your faith at university. And so that's why I got into working with um, what is kind of equivalent to InterVarsity over here, um, Christian Fellowship, but worked within that same kind of organization in the in what was actually Czechoslovakia when I first went there but then it became the Czech Republic so mm. um yeah so that's kind of a very quick version of how I found faith or no, faith found me <laughs> it's interesting uh that you bring up that UK is very secular because uh I had on a Christian musician from there too and she said the exact same thing where <laughs> yeah. if she even brings up faith or anything with her friends they will like right away shut her down. And uh, some of them have even told her not to communicate with them uh, because of that. And I'm just like, yeah, that uh, sadly, that's the way North America is heading. Uh, so uh, I think it's important that we do the work that we're doing to, to reach people uh, for, for with the faith and plant those seeds. So at, IJM, you discussed your, your role a little bit. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that role and a little bit more about what uh, International Justice Mission does and what, what they are as an organization. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I, IJM, we are actually with the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. Um, although we're not just solely fo focused on slavery, we're actually focused more on violence and all the threat of violence that people experience across the world, but especially in developing world amongst poor communities. And so um, we, we recognize that people in poverty, especially just do not have access to justice. Uh, it's not that the access is poor or bad. It's that the access just is not there for many, many people. Um, the UN came out with a figure of, which is staggering, but of five billion people not protected by the law, which when you think the earth is around seven billion, wow. five billion is an incredible amount of people. Um, it's over two thirds of the, of the population of the world. So, again, it makes you realize that living here in Canada, we really are privileged. Um, yeah. You know, we live in privilege. And so for, for most people. Um, they either, they're either, they either have, 
they're either oppressed by violence or the fear of violence. It's not necessarily, it's that fear, it's that sense of insecurity because you know if you are oppressed in some way, if you're robbed, if you're raped, whatever it is, that you just aren't going to get justice. And so you're you're then not just, it's not just justice, you know, you're not just, the perpetrator's not just out there and free because there's impunity, but you're also imprisoned by the trauma that impacts you from that because you're also not going to get access to to good trauma counseling as well and in those contexts you need money you know you need money for a lawyer you need money for trauma counseling um it's just not it's not accessible in the same way that we have it here so um so that's I, that's really how that's really why igm exists um i could i could connect really back to the beginning which was gary haugen our founder who was he was actually the chief chief investigator for the Rwandan genocide. So he was a 30-year-old high-flying lawyer um, with this incredible job, um, which was also very traumatic as well, where he basically had to log how people had been killed in the genocide. Yeah, um, there was a lot. So it was very traumatic, yeah. And he was really struck by a couple of things. One was where was the world when this was happening? And of course, I don't know if you remember, but the world was watching OJ Simpson escape <laughs> up the freeway. Yeah. Um, everyone's eyes was on that. It was live on TV in the UK as well. We were watching that chase. And so while that was happening, we had this horrific thing happening in, in Rwanda. The other question he asked as well is actually not just where was the world, but where was the church? You know, and why? why could, how could something like this happen? And one of the things he realized was that, you know, no, no amount of prayer, no amount of good feeling or sermons or anything like that really could have changed or stopped what actually happened. And it needed actual physical intervention. It needed someone to actually take the machete out of the hands of the people. And as a lawyer, he recognized that, you know, the law has the strength to do that, but it's not happening in many of these situations in many of these countries, especially when it's poor communities, this, it just doesn't happen. And so he really, uh, he actually resigned and set up IGM and everyone said, don't do it. You're mad. What are you doing? It'll never work. I mean, you know, governments are too corrupt. It's just not going to work. And he he did it one person at a time. He, he basically one case at a time. He took that person in a collaborative way, working with lawyers, working with aftercare professionals, working with um, judiciary and, and basically saying, look, we're going to take this person through the justice system. We're going to do good praxis as we go through it. We're going to have to put holes in the pipeline. We're going to have to mend things, definitely. But we want to get them through the justice system at the other side. We want them to flourish. We want the perpetrator to go and you know go to prison for what they've done. And then we've got somebody who's actually come through and been protected. And so he just he just did that one person at a time. And it's developed. And 25 years later, we're, we're this with this big organization working in 26, 26 locations around the world over four continents. So, you know, it was it was a vision that he had back then. And it was based on a theory of change, which is really simple, is that when you enforce the law, violence stops and it really does work and we've proved it again and again it's that simple especially where there's impunity where you're in a place where you can you've got no fear of judgment you've got no fear of being held accountable for what you're doing where somebody is prosecuted and sent to prison in that context it has a big impact it has a 
big impacts. And we've seen that again and again in many different locations. Um, we saw it in Uganda with um, land theft. So what would happen there is that uh, often a, a, a lady would be married and her husband would pass away. Often the husband might be, might be older, so he might have died because he's old, or might have died of AIDS or whatever, however he's died. And so she she would be left on the property. But what would happen, and this is kind of a biblical story. We know the story of Boaz, that the the name of the property would want to be kept in the name of the husband, you know, to keep the to keep it in the family. Mm-hmm. And so if the woman's there on her own, they will want her to give up the land to the family. So they're scared that she might marry again and then it would go to another name. And so sometimes that means that they would um, intimidate her. They would burn her house down. They would kill the cattle and they would even bring the machete onto her. So this was a crime which we'd been working with um, the police, working with the justice system, working with the community for like 10 years in Uganda, in a little area of Uganda. And we saw no convictions in 10 years. So for 10 years, every case that we brought to the court was thrown out. Um, it just didn't work until 2000 and I think 14, 15. And we got our first um, prosecution. We got our first person sent to prison. And that was 2015. To date, we've had over 100 people sent to prison for wow. that crime in that little area of Uganda. So it just takes one it really does and it's and and so that's what keeps us going that's why we keep in that country we keep working with the different stakeholders the different actors because we know that it works but you've got to stick in it you, you've got to keep at the the plow you can't um yeah you can't backtrack but you, but it but it will work in the end you know the law at the end does come through well and we like to think that that kind of stuff doesn't happen here and in North America or in the US or Canada, but uh, we know the sex trade is is very active here and uh, sex slavery, uh, that's something we've seen presidents go after in the past. Uh, And uh, some presidents are a lot more lax on that, but uh, it does happen here as well. So that's something that uh, I love to just mention because it's, it's important that we recognize that we we are not better than these other countries. It it's happening here, uh, right in our own backyards. Absolutely, uh, it exists in every country. Slavery is an issue in every country, and there's and there is no there is no perfect justice system. You know, every justice system is flawed. Um, some are just flawed more than others, and. Yeah. Yeah, so it is. It's a case of, and you know, a lot, a lot of our work is based on capacity, and and we want to, with the money that we are able to raise, we want to, we want to do as much as we can with it. So, obviously, we're we're keen to go to those places that are in most need, where there's most need. Mm-hmm. Um, in a perfect world, um, yeah, every every system needs help <laughs> in some ways. Yeah, yeah, and like you say, there is no perfect system, and I mean, governments. It- it's a struggle for them. How do they counter this? How do they put the funds into it? Because there's only so many things you yeah. can put money into. So that is where it's great to have an organization that, like yours come in to provide that that help and support uh, where a government might be might be struggling with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit more about 
your own role in there and as well as um, touch on Micah 6.8 because we brought that up in the intro and I I, I love that that you tied that particular verse into in, into the ministry that you guys do. So explain a little bit more how that ties in there. Yeah, it's one of our key verses, I think, for the work of IGM. Um, and I think certainly for Gary, I think he re- it was really one of the verses that was when he was working in, in Rwanda, worked in that justice, you know, in that work as the um, as the chief investigator. Um, I think for him, he really saw, I think for the first time, he realized that, wait a minute, this work of justice is actually our job it yes yes god can intervene directly yes we we see miracles in the world absolutely but essentially just and jesus kind of modeled this in his walk around the earth is that he wants to do it through us he wants to use us to be his um his tool of justice if you like to be his uh to be his aroma on the earth and I love the I love also the idea of darkness and light. And that's something I mean, Gary talks about that with his children. He's got a wonderful story of how how his kids were afraid of the dark and he'd charge the dark. He'd run into the dark screaming with them <laughs> because he'd say that because you run in there and then you realize, oh, it's not as bad as I thought it was, you know. But I think that's the challenge as Christians is that we are called to be in dark places because that's where our light has the best impact. You know, and, and the Bible talks about this all the time in many different places where if the light is shining in a light place you're not going to it's not going to really make much difference is it you can't you can hardly see the light on outside when in the day it's at night when the light actually is seen and so that's the challenge for us as christians living especially when we're living in a comfortable society where life can be quite comfortable and easy god's calling us to go into the dark with our light and I think that is something I think Gary realized when he was on those, if you like, those fields in Rwanda, that this is our job. We, we, we've we got to take responsibility and step up and we've got to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And, we, and actually that verse from Micah is wonderful because it kind of is a, is a little bit of an explanation of what Jesus did. You know, you could literally put Jesus into, you know, and it was the Lord that's requiring this of you. Ironically, it's the Lord that's requiring this of you to act justly. What did Jesus do when he was on the world? Oh, he acted justly, you know, to love mercy. Well, Jesus loved mercy. We see that in the way he talked, the Good Samaritan. We saw it in the way that he treated people, you know, people who are very different to, to himself. And of course, he walked humbly with his father um nobody's walked humbly as jesus um, nobody argues when he says i am humble nobody argues with that yeah. <laughs> only only he could say that and get away with it you know so i think he's left that model for us and we really are to be his hands and his feet and that's why you know igm is a community of um of christian lawyers of aftercare professionals of um you know, of different of different people working in the justice system to to make a change because that is that is our commission. Yeah, the Great Commission absolutely is to go into the world and to preach the gospel. But 
we are to be it as well in the way that we, you know, the way that we shine our light and the way that we live. So I think that's really important. I think Micah just, it's just so beautiful. And actually, I think it's in Matthew, Jesus picks that up again. He, he almost quotes the same words because he challenges the Pharisees, doesn't he? And he mm -hmm. says, you know, he, he challenges them because they're not acting according to how they were supposed to be acting. Well, how should they act? Oh, they also needed to do the same, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. You know, so it, it, it's great that Jesus quotes that and brings it into the New Testament as well, that it, nothing's changed. It's still, yeah. the, it's, still the, it's still the mandate for us to do yeah. that. So, yeah, I think, I think it's great. And we were talking about this just pre to, to us coming on air, but how when you, when you are walking in the thing that God has you to do, it's just wonderful and it gives you a peace that you're doing the right thing no matter how hard it is sometimes it can be hard but oh, if yeah. you know you're in that place and you're doing the right thing then you have a peace about what you're doing and um and it's not hard work you know even mm -hmm. though it can be even though it can be sometimes frightening and scary but uh, you have an inner peace so i think that's definitely that kind of is is all all of that is encapsulated in micah six eight and it's become really through working with IGM, it's become one of my favorite verses now in the bible definitely and especially as jesus picks it up as well to challenge the pharisees um in the way that they're doing things yeah and it's kind of a, a two-part verse because it does two things it, it it's that call to action like you're talking yeah. about yeah and it's that guide it's that that telling you this is how you should be going yeah. about this and so i love that that it encapsulates both in that verse it not only calls you to action but it tells you exactly how you yeah. should be acting uh and i think that is very important for people to recognize uh yeah. and, and as they go through and like you say i love when he challenges the pharisees it's just the hypocrisy is just so blatant yeah. for us looking at it um, and yeah. it's, it would have been hard for them to take it because it's, I mean, someone's calling you out. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's right. And they, and they were powerful, weren't they? They were all powerful. And, you know, how dare this person challenge, you know, yeah. <laughs> challenge yeah. them. Um, well, and we were talking too about how some of these Pharisees weren't even Levites anymore. Like they weren't the, the, the people that were supposed to be, leading we're supposed to be those of the levite tribe those are the priests but mm. a lot of the people who are taking these positions of power were no longer levites they were mm. just people in the church who or church uh, synagogue who were like oh i've risen up to this place my family name has given me this place and uh, that, that's where jesus really just was like no yeah this this is how you're supposed to act and that's what yeah. It really got ruffled their feathers on many many occasions yeah. and the fact that that he was came from from humble beginnings uh yeah. a carpenter's son i mean yeah how can from, they how can they Nazareth. possibly know yeah and how could they possibly <laughs> know more than i like <laughs> yeah yeah well and also he what he does he's quite but he, he he does this a few times he does it with nicodemus as well actually but he says you know, you're supposed to know this. It's like, do you not know? Have you not forgotten 
I think he says, I think he actually says that. Have you not forgotten what the most important thing is in the law? It's to love, you know, it's to, it's yeah. to love justice, walk humbly. And so it, it kind of calls them out that makes them, <laughs> yeah, realize that, that you should know this. If you're, if you're an expert in the law, you're well-read, you're, yeah. how come you don't know this, you know? And so it, it almost, it really does bring them down. Um, yeah. You can see why they got angry. <laughs> well, and I've, I've respected, there's just a few of the um, Sadducees and Pharisees that I, reading in the Bible, I have a lot of respect for because they came to know Christ as their savior. And it's like, yeah. you know how difficult that would have been for someone in their position? Oh, like, yeah. And, <laughs> I, I, yeah. And, and, and in some ways we, we have experience with, with, with the work of IGM. We've got people um, I'm a fundraiser, but working in the field, doing the work um, at, at sacrifice because there, there is a risk, you know, there is a risk there to the, to themselves, uh, especially working within, you know, higher up within, you know, whether it's in government or in yeah. in police. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I think it is. Uh, but again, it's, it comes back to that, you know, whether you feel, do you feel you do you feel you, you're in the right place where and God puts us in sometimes difficult places but there's that inner peace I think that's really important yeah and I love that the, feel that yeah. the, the, there's a song out there um oh I have it on my, my thing I forget the name of it but it it says um that it was never promised that it would be easy mm. <laughs> and I'm just yeah. like that is so true yeah. he never promises it's going to be easy in fact, yep. he promises the exact opposite that it, that we're going to go through trials and hardship. Sure. And uh, so I see that even with people who are coming to Christ through IJM uh, or through many other organizations. So coming from these difficult backgrounds, sure. how does IJM um, put in place support programs for people? What kind of support programs do they have and how do they go about putting them in place? Yeah, um, we we've recently actually opened a few new offices um, in the past year, I guess. Uh, with, um, really reaching out to the government, um, we we can't work in any country unless we have an agreement with the government. So there are countries we just can't work in. You know, we've we've not been able to to be able to find that agreement if you like so that's the first thing you know that there is a limit to where we can go um thankfully that's a minority of places um there's still a lot of places where we can we can work with government and where government really have a desire for things to change um so you know just like just like our government, there's no perfect government. So we have to acknowledge that we're not going to be necessarily in a place where we're going to be working with a perfect, in a perfect system. Um, but we can make inroads with people who also have that same heart for justice and for making the world better in their, in their country and context. So yeah, we, we always have to, to have an agreement with the government. We sign a memorandum of understanding an MOU and it also needs agreement that there is a actual problem in a particular area. Um, and that's hard. Sometimes that is hard for us as well to, to admit, you know, yes, we have an issue with this and we need help. Um, so that's also an important part of what we do. Now, 
the work then is really data driven. Um, we can't really work in trying to deal with uh, a problem unless we can prove that there is a problem. So we have to do then prevalence studies. So there's a lot of data analysis. There's lots of sometimes it's physically going out and actually doing um, kind of inspections and investigating in a physical way. Uh, sometimes it can be done. There's so many clever ways of doing this now. I mean, I've 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 heard about a few things and I've touched on a few things. I mean, we've got data science is something now. We have a data science team, and so that's also something that we use. I know there's some there's a system now where you can actually from a satellite the, beaming down to the sea, to the ocean, to the sea, you can see a boat. And by the way the boat's moving, you can tell generally if there's if it's got carrying a cargo which is too big for the boat. And often that's a sign of of slave labor. So there are some very clever things out there that can help. Um, but data is key and we have to be able to prove we have to find uh, a system that works. And then we have to be able to prove that there's a problem. Once we prove the problem, once we've got some measurements, we've got some numbers, we can then say, right, this is how we want to impact the numbers of this. Thank you for listening to Cool Explorations. You've just heard Avon Paladine of IJM, or International Justice Mission, which you can find at www.ijm.ca. And he's just been talking about the work that IJM does, how God's been using him in that work, and how... IJM is, is really a tool for God to correct some of the wrongs that are going on in this world, and this is the first part in the series, so if you want to tune in tomorrow, you can catch the second part. If you would like to reach me for any reason, you can do so at tpeters745 at gmail.com.